Well, good morning. Let's get started with prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for today, for the Sabbath, for the symbol that that is. Thank you for the sunshine and the coolness and the colors. We thank you for the joy and the beauty that you provide for us. I pray that as we spend time together today, that we will understand a little more clearly the message that you've been trying to show us from the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. It struck me today that really understanding the atonement and the symbols of the atonement is at the heart of theology that we as Adventists have struggled with for a long time. Um, and that might be because we don't understand symbols. We don't understand these things. We have um, tried to make application. And uh, it's not always congruent. We don't all agree on what this means. So before we get started today, Renee is going to do a little bit of an exercise uh, that, that might just trigger something for us about the idea of symbols and, and what we do with them, and it might be helpful. I want to give you an opportunity to think about symbols. Take a card. Look at this side only for a minute. Okay, find a partner. Get close to somebody. Everybody has a card now? Okay, you can turn your cards over, and then you figure out, you and your partner figure out what those cards mean. And then when, you, when you've gotten your answers, then let me know. Oh, what goes Okay, doing this little exercise, what comes to mind as far as symbols? What do you think of? Sometimes, yes. Good. What else? It can be difficult, and people can get different interpretations. Good. If they're everyday life things, when we see them, we're reminded of the significance behind the symbol. Ah, if it's everyday things, and we can see that, and we can be reminded of the significance of it. Good. Possibly, depending on where you're coming from, you may have a little dif more difficulty the background. We had a picture of a monkey. Okay. I don't say apricot, I say apricot, because of where I come from. <coughs> you guys may say apricot, I looked at it. <laughs> finally got there, but um, I mean, we all we all bring baggage with us. We all come from a different world, different life experiences, and um, you know we're affected by that. Absolutely, uh, symbols are culturally bound, right? And you know whatever you bring into a situation, that's how you interpret a symbol. Good, thank you. Anyone else? Sometimes you have to work hard at it. Sometimes you do have to work hard at it to, to understand it. And I think that that's one of the things that Linda was pointing out earlier uh, as, we, as we got started, that, the, that this lesson is kind of challenging. Back to you. So with that in mind, how have you traditionally viewed the symbols in this particular chapter? Turn to Leviticus 16 and also put your finger in Hebrews 9. And let's see if we can look at the symbolism of three areas of the system. The sanctuary, 
and the priests and their duties and the actual Day of Atonement, the symbolism of that. Just for review, what does the sanctuary represent? What does it symbolically represent in the Old Testament system? The dwelling place of Jesus. The dwelling place of God. God came down and that's where he met with the people. It was also, it was the center of life. Mm -hmm. It was where all life focused. It was like our mall today. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What did the altar represent? What was its function? The big altar, you mean? Mm-hmm. Forgiving of sins. Okay. Forgiving of sin. And how did we know that the altar is for the forgiveness of sin? What, what happened there that leads us to know this? That was where the shedding of the blood happened. Okay. Killing of the lamb or the bull. Okay. And only the clean. Excuse me? Used. Only perfect. Yes. Yes. And the blood. What was the blood a symbol of? There's life in the blood. There's life in the blood. But in the context of being sprinkled on the altar, what was that transaction about? Was it a cleaning thing? Yes. Yeah. Right. Purification. Okay. So we're in agreement about what the symbols um, mean. As far as the sacrificial system goes, what were these rituals about? It seems to me that God was very specific, very clear, very detailed, very emphatic, first of all, about how the tabernacle should be put together, all of the symbols. He was very clear about that, how the um, services should proceed. What were they for? What were these rituals about? Well, the whole system was supposed to foreshadow the coming of Christ. Okay. Um, it's a wide question, so it's a tough, tough thing to pin down. It is. There's so much detail there. I, I don't think we really understand every single bit of it, and there's different interpretations depending on where you're coming from. But we can, I think, we can rely on the fact that it was a temporary thing to point us toward Christ and, and Him coming to bring us back to one with God. Mm. Okay. So it was pointing to something. Is that something that we can look back on and see clearly? What about the people at the time? What do you think they understood the rituals to be about? Were, did they understand that it was foreshadowing a time? And if they did know that, how did they know that? I think they were taught that, but I'm not sure that they actually... Um, kept that in their mind. And, I mean, if you think about these people that came out of slavery and they were, they've always been told what to do. Now they're being told, this is how you do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, come to the temple and you do this. And it makes me wonder, it's hard for me to put myself in their position, but it's, uh, it makes me wonder what they actually thought about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because in, in the, it seems to me like it would seem like there always has to be a mediator because this God is so awesome, so awful, so whatever. There, I have to have a priest help me with all this. Okay. All right. So they may ha- have 
focused on the specific activity without understanding the broader picture. Yeah. If we look at some other ways that God dealt with this mass of people coming out of that situation, we can we we already know that he in a sense, met them where they were in terms of their understanding, and I think that that probably plays a part in this as well. We may have much more of an understanding of it than they could have at the time, but yet it still could speak to them where they were in their experience at that point. Why do you think God had to use symbols? Couldn't he have had another system in place? Couldn't he have provided another way to worship him? It seems to me that, that this, this idea of ritual and ceremony is very complicated. Could God have done it another way? Why did he choose this particular way? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, a symbol <clears throat> strikes me as is in some ways a type of a word picture. It goes beyond just the, the, the obvious, right. the, the bare. And... You know, word pictures can speak much more powerfully than just the fact you're trying to get across. And so seeing a symbol of something can cause you to think more, it can cause you to reflect more, and maybe even bring the point home more directly. Okay. So, Plus, yeah. a symbol has a longer life than just, if you say these four words to say what the point is, you know, the game telephone, people get it all messed up and... <laughs> yeah. Right. Underlying was obedience. They had to be obedient to do all the things that they did because it was a disaster if they didn't. What might have happened? Well, like going in behind the veil. Yes. We'll just use that as an illustration. That would be death for them. What was the message God was conveying? In that if you came before my presence mm-hmm. and death was the result, unless you proceeded in this very specific way, right. what was the message mm-hmm. that, that he was yeah. trying to convey through all of these symbols and all of these rituals? What was the message about himself that he wanted them to know? That sin has made it hard for you to see me in all my glory because you need to go through a process of healing and restoration so that you can understand me well enough to see me face to face. So going on on that thought, then symbols were a way of veiling God enough. Yeah, I I think each step of that process illustrated the whole idea of restoration of who we are in relation to him. Okay. The priest had to match up to what he was supposed to do, every little detail. And that, to me, says we should, too. It occurs to me that perhaps, um, as our little exercise here was, there was provoking thought using our intellect. Um, as we take a look at the symbols, I don't know that we'll ever fully understand them, but to focus on them, to engage our intellect, to ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts to this, there may be things that um, each one of us might be different that we receive, but we re- may receive a message by looking at these things. Likewise, the Israelites 
um, maybe there is no absolute correct answer, and maybe that's not the point, is to have everyone come to the same understanding of, well, this actually means exactly this. It can't mean anything else, and if you think that, you're wrong, as opposed to, I see this as a part of the relationship that we need to establish, or a step in it, or something to do with my character. I mean, there may be a number of different things as we look into that, that um, the Holy Spirit can open to us where we are right now. And it may not apply to you, but it may apply to me. Um, and and that's, our, our, that's what God wants from us, truthfully, is growth. Mm. Uh, he wants us to engage our minds and, and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and grow in our relationship with Him. And, um, you know, if we all wrote down the exact understanding of every single symbol there and we, were, and we memorized it, then the exercise would be pointless, wouldn't it? To, to, to memorize something doesn't change us. It, we just log it away and say, I know it now, I can move on and do something else. Yeah, and that's, right. God does not want us to be operating in a, a mindless fashion where we just follow the leader or we, we do all these activities because they're required. However, that's what it degraded to, clearly. Yeah. Great thought. Do you want to say something? That's why he said in Isaiah, he said, I hate your sacrifices. I just detest it. Quit it. Stop it. You know? Because they, it had just become a ritual, as you say. You know, a memorization. This is what I have to go through every day. Great. And maybe that's why we have symbolism is because if if you're, um, it shows your determination too. Because it's just like those cards, you know. Um, if you have something, I had something kind of easy. <laughs> you know, but if, if somebody had something more challenging, it depended on how much I really want to get to, to understand that, how much effort I'm going to put into it. So I think that's part of um, why God gives us symbols because it also shows us, you know, it's a it's a, our part. It shows our determination to know Him. That was kind of what He was saying. Yes, we we, we can feel more challenged by a symbol, and and really, our part can can become a fully functioning partner with God mm-hmm. in getting that figured out. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it showed how horrible sin is. Think of Day by day, having to sacrifice one of your favorite animals. Could you go, you know? And they lost sight of that. Okay, if I kill this, I'll be okay. Instead of just thinking that sin causes death, you will die. It was a horrible time. Yeah, if you, if you think about the sanctuary being the center of life and all of these thousands of people, I mean, thousands of people, needing to sacrifice on a daily basis. Uh, it must have been a, a, just a, a gruesome sight. People standing in line with an animal. Uh, uh, just, a, just an incredibly um, horrible um, activity, really. So, the message, maybe, is what? What was the message that God wanted them to know about himself and about sin and about their relationship with him by standing in line with an animal coming up to the sanctuary, going through that that gruesome process over and over and over again? It should have been then instead of the animal. Mm-hmm. But they didn't get it. So it should have been them. Do you think they fully grasped that? No. Why not? 
That's the point. They had to do it over and over and over and over again every time they, they sinned. Which brings up an interesting question for me. Do you th- think God must have known that at some point this system would become like the pagan system? That at some point this would, would not be a perfect system? But he, he instituted this <clears throat> in spite of that knowledge. And then in the end, in Isaiah and multiple other places, he says what? This is disgusting to me. At first, the fragrance, the smell of flesh was sweet to him, he says. It was a fragrant sacrifice. Sometimes we are out on our back porch and our neighbor fires up the barbecue. And there's a part of me that thinks, oh man, (laughs) that smells pretty good. Um, You know. But can you imagine that multiplied thousands of times, just, the, just the, 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 the smell of burning flesh all the time. What was it that God was saying, that this has become detestable to me? What had happened? What changed? The heart? Can you say more about that? They stopped focusing on, oh, I did something wrong, let me confess my sins. Instead, they're just oh, I'm just bringing this and start honoring like either um, other gods or themselves. And they were just doing the uh, sacrifices because um, I'm sure they, were, they, they would see other nations around them and they would also have their own practices. And so to a certain extent, their ideas would come to, with them and they would just like, oh, yeah, it's, it's not like, oh, what with God? They were more self-concerned. They were self-concerned. They were going through... The ritual as just a formality of something. Yes, I was going to say it's part of desensitization. You know, when we become, and that's the power of sin, is it desensitizes us to the evilness of what it really is. And so, if you do something routinely, you know, just like the first time I ever saw something really violent, I think it was Rambo, and I couldn't watch it. You know, I walked out, and that was back in the eighties. <laughs> and I walked out, you know, because I was just like, oh, that's just too violent. Well, now, you know, unfortunately, I could sit down and watch Rambo. And something worse. It's because I've I've seen it. I'm desensitized to it. So what was gory and gross to me before is not as bad now because you know I've seen it more. And so I think that that's the same thing with with that. You know, if you and and probably I'm thinking what he's saying when it's gross to him. And I don't know if this is right or not. But if if I sin continually and and I, and for for um, my sin, I have to offer, you know, a lamb or a perfect being. If I keep doing that all the time, I'm not going to think it's so bad after a while because I've seen, you know, I've killed that one, and now I'm killing this one, and I've killed that one. So, so it becomes not as significant um, because it just becomes not as significant if you keep doing it. I think that's really a wonderful point, and possibly <clears throat> the flaw in the system, if there was a flaw, that. Over time, people came because it was the thing to do. It was just what you did. At first, can you imagine the horror of the people thinking, okay, we've built this beautiful space, God comes here, but now it is, it's just a bloodbath. And so over time, they possibly just, it became natural 
just a matter of course. Oh, I've sinned, I've got to go and sacrifice. Oh, I've sinned, I have to go do this. And it became this, this rote activity that coming to that place didn't fill them with fear or awe anymore. We just said, oh, man, I've got to go, I've got to do this because I sinned. That's really an interesting point. That, that, that God said, you sacrifice and your sin is forgiven. But I wonder if over time this became so, just a reflexive action that they didn't understand how much God abhors sin. I think, um, in a way, like it became kind of like salvation through it, the focus was off of God. Now it's like, well, if I sin, I can do this, and then I'm okay. So that was totally out of the picture. Okay. Yeah. One thing that has been mentioned, I think, is is important to know is the background behind where this started. Um, certainly the Egyptians had some pretty abhorrent uh, processes and I believe sacrifice was probably among them Um, at least uh, some people have done some research and indicated that that's what they found so I believe God obviously had to reach people where they were um, and he took that and turned it into something which he tried to make a little more meaningful and positive but reality was flawed from the beginning this idea of a substitutionary sacrifice um, really is extremely pagan from the beginning. And, I mean, you take a, a bad system and you try to improve upon it, it's still going to be weak, it's still going to be flawed, and it's going to have some downfall. Mm-hmm. And as sin impacted that, it became, just like anything else, very routine, as everybody else says. One of the analogies that I heard used was uh, you get to the point where you start to budget in well, you know, this week I'm probably going to need a couple of turtle doves and a and a uh, a lamb to cover myself. So you know, that's in the budget, the weekly budget. You know, we've got to put that aside so I can purchase it. Just like anything else, we we adapt, um, and that's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. Uh, just like anything else. Okay. Yes. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the first time something was sacrificed in the Garden of Eden? Yes. yes. And so, I mean, I know they were pagan, but how does that initially be pagan if it first happened with Adam and Eve? It's a great question. Anybody have any thoughts about that? I think yeah. the pagan part is our default mode of thinking when we're in our natural human fallen state of not understanding who God is. Mm-hmm. And so, he's not responsible for that in a sense. He's dealing with us that way no matter, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, I think to add to that, possibly, okay, I mean, I'm not sure again, but I think when we do it over and over again, then it be, uh, the pagan part became, now it was appeasement because we had an right. angry God here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you said about you know, doing it over and over again, I have a dog that's very ill, a Cocker Spaniel, and I've taken him twice to the vet to put him to sleep, and I bring him home every time, and I can't stand it. You know, he's been so loyal, he's been such a great friend, you know, he's always there when I need him kind of thing. I can't imagine taking this sweet little lamb, you know, to the altar, uh, whether it be every day or once a week or whatever it is. But you get so that you're used to it, you know, and I haven't become used to it yet to even take my dog over there. So, um... Uh, I wonder if they 
did it so many times that it became such a ritual. And then all of a sudden, because the pagan gods were doing I mean, the pagan people were doing this as well, it was because they wanted to appease their god. They would get rain for their crops so that they would get sunshine for their crops so that they would have, you know, whatever, you know, fertility, whatever. I will, I will sacrifice this so I can have that. This lies at the very heart of how we view God. And that's what I want to move to shortly. But this informs how people see God. If you have to sacrifice something to appease or to get relief from sin, then you must have a violent, angry God. If he demands blood, he must be an angry God. Okay, a couple of comments. Yes. Just going back to her question, um, I think um, Adam and Eve... Um, started doing the sacrifices, but as time went on, I think that's where um, it moved from those kinds of sacrifices to different kinds of sacrifices, and soon enough, people were starting to kill their own sons and daughters um, in order to appease the gods. Um, It's just kind of like um, it went a little a different way, and so when the Israelites came, they already had all these pagan um, influences, and so that's where the difference comes. <coughs> and then probably um, it was then in the desert where God told them, "No, this is not how it used to be. This is how I want it to be." And kind of like um, it, it renewed. He renewed how it was again. Like he he said it how it was when Adam and Eve sinned. Okay, so he, in a kind of a way, sanctified the process, which had really been really abused. If you lose sight of the real reason for something, then I think it's a natural thing to start creating your own reasons why it's there. And pretty soon, the real reason gets lost altogether. And the reasons that have been passed down as tradition, we've always done it this way, or Uncle So-and-so said this, and we venerated Uncle So-and-so, then it takes on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And over the process of thousands of years, I, I suspect it can very quickly get to the difference between what was the real reason that God Almighty instituted these things versus what do people, or the default pagan, what do we think it's for? Yeah, right. Yolanda. And we have to remember why God actually killed an animal in the beginning. Was it because he was sacrificing it? For himself, or was it because he was giving them clothing? It was a, a kind of a love thing right. for him, you know. Here, uh, now you're naked. I'm going to cover you up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was the reason. It was a different reason, you know, for sacrifice in heaven. Anyway. I mean, in Adam in, in the Eve. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was a gift. Yes. Well, it, it started reverting back to Cain, where. You know, initially you might start off with, um, you know, I'm looking to a savior, and, and and then and then it goes from that to, okay, I'm paying for my sins, I'm buying my salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, righteousness by works, really, like Cain was doing. Mm-hmm. And giving exactly what he wanted to give, mm-hmm. rather than what was asked for. A selfish act. Yeah. How does the mess of stuff was there to have to clean up. That's why there was a cleaning time. Yeah. Yeah. I would think that would be awfully hard to see that. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Think about how your understanding of this system informs your understanding of Christ and his sacrifice. 
Because I think this really is at the heart of how we understand the plan of salvation and how we understand Christ's sacrifice and how we understand what God wanted and wants from us. Is it just a mechanistic way of worship, doing things that that, um, we do because we think that's what God wants? So the first question is, are there rituals today that we do that fall into the same category as what they did at, at that time after it just became ritual? What are some of the rituals that we engage in? Yes. Sacrificial system is sort of carrying over now by our good works. A lot of times we think, "Well, I'll work my way in it." And you know, it's a subconscious thing. But you know, I'll do this mission project, or you know, I'll help my neighbor. And you know, you may not necessarily have a heart into it, but it's a way of feeling good about yourself. Mm. I don't. I don't mean that we should look at each other, and but you know, we have to search our own heart. Why am I doing this? Okay. And I, I think, um, you know, when Jesus talked about don't do your de- deeds to be seen and don't let your right hand know, I think he understood that we struggled with that and that we need to always remind ourselves that there's nothing we can do to earn this. It's, it's not about that. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about communion service? Say more. <laughs> How what is about applicable? <laughs> Well, that's what I, I was curious about. Are there very specific rituals that we, we engage in that we believe have power to somehow right. uh, affect our relationship with God? Communion, what do you think about that? Is that a ritual that, that, that actually has, has power in and of itself? No, not in and of itself, but if you get into the meaning, and I think that's probably a good thing why our church has just made it a, a quarterly service instead of an every week service, because then it becomes so ritualistic. Mm-hmm. But the Sabbath is also ritualistic. It can be. Mm-hmm. You know, it just depends on your attitude, how you come to any of these things. I didn't grow up as an Adventist. I went to church sometimes with my grandmother, and I was with her through the service of communion and of course it meant nothing to me only they were just doing this you know uh, but since I've become an Adventist and going to church and realizing there is something in that and that's what we should do when we take part of it it should be a part that we take seriously and not just an act what is it about that service that, that we should have Jesus in front of us when we think of what we're doing, of what he gave for us. That's why we take the bread. That's why we drink the wine, unfermented, and wash our feet. Uh, The washing of the feet, to me, is just a little baptism. Can we boil it all down to everything God has done, shown us in the Bible, all these rituals, symbolism, is God showing us how our relationship with him can be changed, not his relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can let prayer just be a, a symbol or something, unless our heart's really in it. Okay. We have something to pray about and mean it. Somebody read um, Isaiah 
66 verse verse 2 because I think it it's important for us to look past the symbols, the rituals of the time, and really try to understand what it is that God was looking for all along. Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my words. God wanted a relationship with people who were humble in spirit, who weren't haughty, who weren't mechanistic, who weren't um, so so easily, what's the word? They didn't understand the implications of, of sin. Now, how does this inform our understanding of God and his sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice for us? God is disgusted by things that they did, the blood, the offerings, and so forth. How does all of this, and we say it very easily, it pointed towards Christ, and we understand that Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for us. Do we understand that, and how does that happen, that Christ was the sacrifice, and no more sacrifices are needed? Turn to Hebrews 9. We talked earlier about, uh, about the blood of Christ purchased, and this is a traditional term, purchased our freedom. Do we understand that? Do we believe that? Do we accept that? And if not, what is the way that we uh, are freed from sin? What is the process? God was the ultimate sacrifice that all of these symbols were pointing towards. It says in verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes, heifer, sprinkling on those who ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Sacrifices in the Old Testament system cleansed from the acts that led to death. Here it says that Christ's blood cleanses our conscience. What is our conscience? And how does Christ's blood cleanse our conscience? I'm thinking back to Tim's book. Mm-hmm. If, I can, if I can remember right, it it's, includes like the part of our minds that God can speak to us in. Yes. And where we can do wise judgment out of. Mm. So this is a good place for um, to be purified, I think. <laughs> is it possible that when God lives in us, he lives in our hearts and our minds? And the sanctuary was a place that, that over time became defiled. It had to be cleansed. It had to be cleaned. And here it says that Christ's blood cleans our consciences. Is that where God lives in us? Is is that his dwelling place here on earth, in, in us, and it needs to be cleansed too. But how does the blood actually cleanse the conscience? Isn't that just another symbol? Yet we peg our, our Protestant theology on the fact that this blood that, that Christ shed does something for us. How does it do that? I mean, they could see it on a daily basis, how it actually did that. But this is something that we believe. 
how does that belief cleanse us? What does it do for us? Yeah. I'm struggling with this concept of cleansing or purifying our conscience. Um, I don't think that anybody really in their own heart thinks that if you've done something bad, that killing an animal, having someone serve your sentence, paying a fine necessarily makes you right. I don't I don't think we I don't think we were built that way. I think we've been trying to convince by by Satan, by sin, that that actually is a valid concept or it actually works. But I think in our hearts, our conscience is struggling with this and saying, and I've always wondered when I believe that, you know, Christ died for my sins, oh yeah, I'm, you know, this this transaction that takes place that you don't even really understand, all of a sudden you're good. You know, the candy-covered rotten apple concept. Never bought that. Never made any sense to me. And I always struggled with it. And I think that this is what they're saying is, if you're thinking this way, all this time you thought that if you did something and it automatically wiped out all of your bad deeds and you're now clean, now when you come to realize that Christ came to set that right, to clear God's um, reputation and say that that's not what he wants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that clears our conscience. I think that takes a huge load. That is the good news. It takes a, a huge load off people. Absolutely. People are walking around trying to make sense of this concept where, um, gee, Christ died for my sins, but you know, I don't feel any different. Well, that's because they don't understand what it was all about. They think it was a transaction. They paid some kind of like a traffic fine. Right. You know, um, you know when we pay a traffic fine, that doesn't change our hearts. It just says I'm going to be a little more careful. It doesn't make me think, man, I really understand that going 15 miles over the limit is a horrible thing, and that I could kill people as a result of it. That it actually damages society. That doesn't change our hearts. Mm-hmm. Most of us, mm-hmm. um, and that's what he wants. He wants a heart change, and that's how our, our conscience becomes cleansed. Absolutely, absolutely. In the Old Testament system, were people actually changed? Well, they may have felt some sorrow and some guilt, but they also knew that the next time it just became this assembly line of sacrifice. If we realize that we are the temple of God and we really love Him, we'll take care of those temples. Yeah. You know, Paul is saying here that really understanding um, Christ's love for us changes us. It's not just something that we ritually do, but his blood actually changes us. I'd like to read something from, from a book called God is Love that was actually published in 1897. Every pagan religion has its sacrifices and this sacrifice is derived from the true sacrifice by which the world is to be redeemed but satan has brought it around so that the pagan's sacrifice means just the opposite of the true the meaning of the true sacrifice is this god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Every sacrifice truly offered is a revelation and expression of that great sacrifice by which God was to give the pledge to all his intelligent creatures of all worlds that he so loved that he gave. 
But the pagan sacrifice speaks of a God of wrath and anger whose wrath must in some way be appeased by the blood of the Lamb, or it may be only by the blood of a fair maid or an innocent child or some other human victim. When he smells the freshly flowing blood, they believe his vengeance will be satisfied and he will be propitiated. What shall we say of the false idea of atonement? held even by many in popular Protestant churches today and expressed in the late confession of faith in these words, Christ died to reconcile the Father unto us. This is not the place to enter into a discussion of that. Suffice it to say that this is pagan idea applied to Christianity. God, they think, was angry. He must pour forth his wrath upon someone. If upon man, it would eternally damn him as he deserved. But this would interfere with God's plan and purpose in creating the worlds, so this must not be. And yet God must not be cheated of his vengeance. For this reason he pours it forth upon Christ, that man may go free. So when Christ died, he was slain really by the wrath and anger of the Father. This is paganism. The true idea of the atonement makes God and Christ equal in their love and one in their purpose of saving humanity. God was Christ reconciling the world to himself. The life of Christ was not the price paid to the Father for our pardon, but that life was the price which the Father paid to so manifest his loving power as to bring us to that repentant attitude of mind and to pardon us freely. Thus, Satan has transformed the truth of God's love into a lie, and even infused this lie into every doctrine of atonement. Mm -hmm. The price paid was God's gift. And that was turned around. And I think that, that as we understand that God wants a relationship with us, he wants to cleanse our consciences, our hearts, our minds, and that the Day of Atonement may have been a horrific day for them because of the blood and the flesh. But as we understand it, it uh, God wanted us to understand the great gift that he gave to us freely because he loved us so much. And he wants a relationship with us based on understanding that he gave a gift for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. These are sometimes complicated issues that we don't understand fully. And I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, that you will cleanse our minds, our consciences, as we more fully understand the gift that you gave. May we embrace that today. May we fully commit to a relationship with you. May we open ourselves up to be cleansed. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.